The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from John 21, 4-17. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Jesus said, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, happy Easter. To all of you listening, welcome this morning. I'm so glad you're with us. I'm so glad to join you, even virtually. And uh, I'm so glad that we can be together and continue to hear and praise God for his work on this uh, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Just a few announcements for you as we get into, uh, before we get into a sermon. Uh, Just a couple things on worshiping, connecting, and serving. This next week, uh, just as as usual, we will have um, 
several things coming up after the sermon series is going to be new after this Easter. And we'll have a series on major questions that people are dealing with right now, just especially with the current climate. We're going to do a six-week sermon series on things such as anxiety, money, worry, those kind of things that we are really all asking about. And where does God call into it? And the series is going to be called The Consolation of Christ. How does Jesus actually address these things we're dealing with right now? And so, uh, also during the week on Wednesdays uh, at 4.30 p.m., we're going to have a Zoom call, uh, so midweek after the sermon, to just have an open forum to talk about what was talked about in the sermon, uh, questions following up with that, just to have a time to really deepen our hearts into what not only we're seeing in the scriptures, but also how it impacts us in our current daily lives. So, I'd love for you to join us both on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., uh, for our, our live stream, and uh, in the next six weeks on Wednesday afternoons at 4.30, uh, we will send out a, 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 a Zoom uh, link for you to join us. Also, I uh, want to encourage you to cont- continue to connect with one another. Uh, I'm seeing more and more of people connecting uh, in, in just the sweetest ways, uh, whether it's uh, by Zoom calls, whether it's uh, FaceTime. I just even connected this week with uh, three of my closest friends from high school that I haven't talked to in years. And, um, and it was such a rich time just to, to do that. And we, we kind of asked each other, why haven't we done this always? Uh, God is doing something in our relationships through this, and we need it, and we need it desperately. So make sure that you're continuing to do that. And finally, how to serve. I want to can encourage all of you to give. Uh, to um, We have an opportunity to give online and ways to give. Uh, you can even go on ChristPres.org and see uh, all of the ways that your giving is impacting uh, our city currently. Even in its uh, lockdown type structure, we're having opportunities to serve and care and support our city and the needs that it has continually. And so we really want to encourage you to do so, as well as thinking about ways that uh, creatively to serve your neighbors and to serve those around you by uh, giving gift cards, uh, sending um, uh, gift, not only gift cards to Kroger or those type things, but caring for your neighbors in those ways. Uh, maybe you have extra uh, items that you've uh, purchased and maybe asking them, are they in need of that? Toilet paper, food, items of those kind of things. So love those around us, love our neighbors as ourselves in this time. Well, uh, again, happy Easter to you. My name is Stacy Croft. I'm the lead pastor for our uh, Music Row location of Christ Presbyterian Church, and I'm glad you're with us this morning. It's really a sweet time to be able to, to speak about the greatest hope that we have. I don't know if you remember the Christmas classic, uh, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. But uh, the, the, the great part about that, and they even did a remake of The Grinch, which I think is excellent, so good. Um, but one of the greatest parts about that is you have the, the Who's down in Whoville who love Christmas a lot. But you have the Grinch who stole Christmas who didn't like Christmas at all. The Grinch did not, as it says. And remember in the story, if you've seen it, sorry if I'm ruining this for you, if you haven't seen The Grinch by now, we, we got to talk. Let's, have a, let's set up a Zoom call. We'll work on that. But the Grinch actually can't stand the fact that the Who's love Christmas so much. All the bang, all the toys, all the noise, all the stuff. That, so he 
concocts this plan. He, he steals Christmas. He dresses up like Santa. He goes down on his sleigh and he steals all of their toys, all, all to go up on Christmas morning to sit on a hill and to listen and to see how do the Who's react when all their stuff is taken. And he realizes to his chagrin that Christmas came anyway. That it wasn't about the boxes or strings or toys or all the things that were there. It wasn't all that stuff. But Christmas comes. It's still there. He couldn't keep it from coming. You know, on a beautiful day like today, which is considered Easter, where nobody's in church, nobody's here listening to me. <laughs> but how does Easter still come? How does it still come when people aren't in church for Easter? What happens to all the egg hunts? What happens to all the sermons? What happens to all the gatherings, all the, 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 the fancy suits, all the seersucker, all the, the baskets, all the, the, the kids dressed up? What happens to all that when no one's here to do it? Does Easter still come? Why and how? See, Easter is still here because there's no amount of virus, no social distancing, no, not even death itself we read in this could keep Easter from coming. It comes. And differently than even the Grinch, it says in the Grinch that, 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 that Christmas lies in their hearts. Here's what's even greater than that. This story is about a heart that's broken. It's talking about Peter. It's talking about a disciple, one of those in particular who actually denied Jesus. And he is left with his denial. A heart that would be rendered leaving in shame. One of our greatest fears that we could ever encounter is to be left with our own shame, with no way of restoration. What restores that kind of heart to believe Easter has come? It only happens because Jesus himself would not be kept away from us. Not even death itself could keep Easter from coming because it doesn't lie in us. It's something that came to get us. It doesn't just sit in your heart. That's not what Easter is. It comes to change your heart. It comes to bring the greatest news, the greatest hope that we could ever have, even when there is no one sitting here right now. Nothing can keep Easter from coming. You know, as we look at this passage, how do we do that? How do we, how do we really believe that? I mean, some of you listening this morning might even feel cynical, bored, maybe the weariness of just the last several weeks and gosh, obviously the weeks to come. Many of you may even feel like wanting hope. How do we receive that? It's because Easter cannot be stopped. And how we believe that is really by seeing and, and believing as Peter that we are we're not left where we are. Like Peter, we need to know that the resurrection is a reality. It's not just some hope that wish fulfillment. It's not just something that, that, that emotionally comes to try and solve something, but that there's actually a tangible reality to Easter that comes to actually lift us up and take us out of the shameful, denying, weary, cynical, lost, lonely, sad hearts that we have to bring us a real hope with real skin that really touches us right now, today. 
So we're gonna look at this hope from this passage in two ways. One is the reality of the resurrection. There's a reality that actually comes into our life, the presence. It's a reality of that resurrection. It's real. And the second thing is the restoration, that, that actually there's a restoration happening <clears throat> that we see in this passage that, that the resurrection, resurrection brings. It restores us and restores our hearts in truth and in our relationship with him. You know, first, the hope of, in the reality here is, if we really think about this, Peter's hope needed to be real. For Peter, hope was, his hope was radically changed. And the question is, is it real? I mean, is it enough for him to believe emotionally? A lot of people have looked at this as the resurrection and, and said, well, it doesn't really need to be tangibly real. Maybe it doesn't really need to be a historical reality. As long as we believe it, it that's enough. But does that lift us? Does that, is that enough hope outside of us to actually cause us to believe? Or does it need to be something more? Can we really hold on to that? You know, <clears throat> some time ago, uh, uh, when there were the terrorist attacks in Paris, some years ago, the hashtag pray for Paris, pray for Paris came out. And, um, <clears throat> and many around the globe did that, just as they are now. More people may be, and even as you're watching, maybe praying than you ever have before. But one person who came out that was not necessarily a Christian and was really thinking of the issue of religion itself, uh, uh, Charlie Hebdo was a cartoonist at the time. Uh, put this out, said, friends from the whole world, thank you for hashtag pray for Paris, but we don't need more religion. Our faith goes to music, kisses, life, champagne, and joy. Hashtag let's have Paris is all about life. It was an obvious dig on religion, but the, see, that's the thing is, is this passage about Peter is so happy to see Jesus because he failed his religion. He failed to keep what he was supposed to keep up. Or is there something more? It's easy to look at the resurrection and say, did this really happen? What's the real need of it? What's the necessity of it? You know, especially as uh, <clears throat> 21st century materialistic pe people who live with cameras, we get to actually do a live stream service. What's the need for us to actually be together and meet together? Why, why does it make us sad to not be together? And why, why is the historical reality of, of the resurrection come in flesh? David Brooks mentioned this some time ago. He said, is it religion or is there something else? He said in, uh, um, in the Atlantic about what it means to be a secularist. He said, until September 11th, years ago, I accepted the notion that the world becomes richer and better educated. It becomes less religious but it's now clear that the secularization theory is untrue. The human race does not necessarily get less religious as it grows richer and better educated. We are living through one of the, now listen to this prophetic language that he wrote years ago, but it meets us now. We are living through one of the greatest periods of scientific progress and creation of wealth. And at the same time, we're in the midst of religious boom. We're in a place of such Worlds colliding, and yet what we long for is something bigger than us, something more. It has to be more than, than that. It can't be a division of faith and reason. It, like Peter needed to this be, think of, think of, think of the, the eyewitness detail, the number of fish, the distance from the shore, Peter's garment even being tucked back in, hopping in the water, the, that Jesus himself here says, in verse 14, that this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised. Third time. 
that it wasn't enough for them to just think about it or have it emotionally connect. Jesus had to come to them over and over, physically, tangibly, to show that his resurrection connects to the reality of every doubt, every denial that Peter has actually had. It wasn't enough for Peter to feel like he could hold a religion. This isn't about religion. This isn't about something else. This is us praying and longing because we know it's not about our behavior in a religion. It's about a relationship. It's about Jesus coming back and pursuing Peter in the midst of this. See, Jesus' presence in this, in all of Peter's reality, is what draws him out. It draws out his heart. Look, he finds him fishing. He, he finds him on the shore. He, he cooks him breakfast. He does these things to be present in his life, to bring him back. I was in the grocery store some time ago before we really take limited trips and nor could go, but I remember standing in the line and the grocery store checkers were actually talking to one another about Easter. One of them said to the other one, Easter is my favorite holiday. It's just so sweet. There's just time together, a lot of family, a lot of time. Not sure why. Uh, didn't go too deep into that. But the other one said that they're not religious and that they, think they don't like the idea of Easter because of all the pressure, the pressure that comes with it. I didn't ask at the time, but my question in response would be, where's the pressure coming from? You know, for Peter in this passage, everything surrounding the narrative of Jesus was pressure. Everything around it was full of pressure. Because what had happened in his denial of Jesus in his most crucial time, about to be taken to the cross... When G Peter is asked, you know him, you know him, and he disassociates himself with him. That he's left to his own. He's left to himself. And so every moment since then, imagine the hours, the days, even him going back to fishing. What this time, even from one Sunday where Palm Sunday, where Jesus is, is coming through Jerusalem Hailed, Hosanna, save now. And then the next things cried out are crucify him. All to feel like Peter in his most crucial moment failed him and is left in his denial. He's left with the pressure. And Easter doesn't, for Peter, bring more pressure. It actually is there to relieve it. You see, the point of Easter, if we believe it, it brings pressure. It is a religion. It is something that we have to keep. It's a performance. It's something that we have to hold. And that is, man, I, I identify so much with Peter in that, that it would be easy. I need, to, I need to do well. I need to be great. No wonder he jumped in the water so quickly when he heard Jesus' voice. I need to be with him. I, I, need to, I need to get close with him. But the question is, does the resurrection happen just once or does it impact, does it infect, does it get into every part of our life or is it just one moment? Is it just a moment in history or is the resurrection so great that it lifts off every pressure rather than the other way around? Walker Percy said it so great. Walker Percy, the great Southern writer, <clears throat> when he was talking about just some offhanded things 
He says, it's not the big events that worry me, wars or rumors of wars. In fact, my problem is how to live from one ordinary minute to the next on a Wednesday afternoon. How does the resurrection impact us every minute we're having to sit at home? Having to almost count the seconds sometimes. Sometimes even looking up and going, what day is it? Because we've been doing the same thing over and over again. How does the resurrection reality get into that? It's just as we see here. Jesus meets him in his presence. He doesn't give him a sermon. He tells him how to fish. And imagine that. A bunch of guys who are professional fishermen are in a boat. They've fished all night. They can't do anything. And some random guy from shore yells, hey, throw your net on the other side. Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. I'm sure after so much time toiling in the water and thinking about the last few days, they thought, man, we're, we're willing. Everything seems dismal. <clears throat> we're willing to throw our net anywhere. Whoever throws, says to do it from shore. And they cast their net over and the fish are hauled in. And what does this do? It reminds Peter Jesus' presence, it shows them, they recognize him. And again, not just from this, but all along, scattered throughout his story with Jesus is his presence and oftentimes connected to a boat. One in which a storm came up where Peter and the disciples were on a boat and they said, Lord, don't you care about us? We're about to drown in this storm. And Jesus stands up and with his words, calms the storm. The storm actually recognizes Jesus' voice and quiets up. Another time when Peter sees Jesus walking on water and says, Lord, can, can I come to you? And he steps out on the water, and, but soon he begins to look at the waves and he sinks down into it. And Jesus has to bring him up and say, oh, Peter of little faith. All of these accounts thinking of his faith. Where is Peter's faith? Is it in his own faith? Is it in his own strength, his performance of religion? Where all the pressures are, we feel all of them. All of us are feeling the pressure of losing so much money, losing our emotional stability, losing all of these things and trying to keep it together. The pressure just mounts over and over. And Easter isn't coming to add to the pressure, but to be the presence of the reality of the resurrection, to actually take it off you completely. To to call you, to say, here's where the fish are. But Peter jumps in the water, not because of the fish. He jumps in the water because... He knows that his heart needs to be with Jesus. See, Jesus' presence is about the relationship he has with him. His presence impacts their fishing, their work life. His presence impacts their eating. And how incredible that Jesus brings Peter back into relationship with him by bringing him into a meal of everyday life. He doesn't give him a sermon. He doesn't give him a lecture He comes ashore and he says, come and eat with me. He's bringing him back. And I don't know about you, but if I'm stuck with denying Jesus and I see the one, I see maybe some of you are in this place now, gosh, you've got plenty of time to do it. You're seeing or talking or thinking about all the relationships and friendships you've had across the years, whether family, friends, or otherwise that you've seen, that you have broken relationship with. And in some way, shape, or form, denial and hurt them 
and maybe betrayed them, you would put that language on it. And to see their face again just stirs in you that part of you of saying, what can I do to make this right? I can't settle my heart. And Jesus brings Peter back in. Jesus brings Peter back in to feed him, to say, let me encourage you because the hope is the reality of that. But hope in the resurrection reality is that comes in flesh. His presence, his actually person is there to meet him eye to eye and draw him back in to say, you're not lost. You're still here. And he does that. And then we get to sit with him around the fire. We get to sit with him around the fire and hear the conversation. And it may go different than what you think because the hope is the reality that Jesus is there. He is alive and he brings them back into relationship by his presence. But he's also there to restore them with his resurrection, to restore their hearts a full. Notice this, when they got out of the boat onto land, verse 9, they saw a charcoal fire in place with the fish laid out on it. And Jesus said, then bring some of the fish you've caught. And they hauled it in. They had breakfast together and they ate. And then when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he begins to ask him this question over and over and over. And different than we may think, and we actually get to see in verse 17 that Peter was grieved after the repetitive nature of this. That Peter was grieved because Jesus said to him a third time, do you love me? But Jesus drew out of him again that grief, that shame that's there. And this isn't Jesus shaming Peter. This is Jesus drawing Peter's story, his reality, into the story, the narrative that Jesus has for him. G.K. Chesterton talked about this. He was a precursor to C.S. Lewis. And he talked about the way that kids, children, Think of fairy tales and what they mean for them. But I really think it's apt for all of us to think about what these, rea- these fairy tales mean. If you keep boogies and goblins away from children, Chesterson said, they would make them up for themselves because we all have a story, a narrative. Fairy tales then are not responsible for producing in children fear or any of the shapes of fear. Fairy tales do not give the child the idea of evil or the ugly. That is already in the child because it is in the world already. See, what fairy tales do is not give them the first idea of this. What fairy tales do is give the child his first clear idea there is a possible defeat of any of the evil. You see what this is? This is him bringing a story, the story that Peter has told himself over and over since that time. Since that wonderful moment when they saw their teacher ride in on the back of a donkey on Palm Sunday, a week ago today. And yet every step from that moving further and lower down to the demise of their own friend and savior on the cross die. And he is left with his own shame. There's nothing more fearful for me and I'm sure for you to be left in our own shame, without any possible way of redemption or restoration, or without any possible way of us feeling like we're lifted away from it. That we'd be left as a betrayer, left as a denier, because we all are. We all have those relationships that we 
know of. The rest of the world feels like it can be shut out and we feel that in our hearts. As much as we see sports and entertainment and food and work and all of these things too, is the resurrection shut out of our story also? We're really aware of our own stuff. We're really aware of the fact that the fact for me that is so frightening that I could be left with my own shame of being someone who denies, who betrays those who are the closest to me, especially my Lord. And that's where Peter is. And it's not enough for Jesus to say to him, hey, come have breakfast. Jesus has to go into his heart, into the places where he least believes it in order to root out the fact that you are not left alone. To be left alone in shame. We're not strong enough. We're not emotionally healthy enough to keep it, to hold it. The resurrection can't be just that. It has to be him coming in, that we are pursued to the depths. Because I think just as much as you, that I am beyond the grasp of God's grace. That the things that I really believe that I, I think I can hold on to, I can't. And I want to believe that my denial is, too, is not strong enough, but it is. It holds me back. All of us feel that way. All of us feel that our denial has, there's no going back. How can we turn our back on someone like this? Someone who never hurt him. Someone who always was there for him. How could he receive him back? Am I beyond the reach of his grasp? Am I too slippery beyond the grip of his grace? But yet he welcomes back deniers. He pursues them to their heart. Notice the question isn't here. Do you think I love you, Peter? That's not what Jesus is asking. He's not asking Peter, do you think I love you? But that's what we all think. When you and I read a passage like that, it would be easy to say, gosh, man, is he shaming Peter for what what he's done? No, he's actually doing the opposite. He's getting to the root of where Peter believes and knows that he is a betrayer and getting to the heart of it so that he can experience the presence of Jesus' reality that not even death then keep Jesus from gripping, from reaching his grasp out to hold Peter so that he does not slip away. And nor does he think that it's up to him to work it out emotionally. Jesus has done it. That's the difference between religion and relationship. It's not a religion that he has to keep. He hasn't just lost his master or teacher. This is someone who comes back to defeat death so that not even the ways that we believe that we are so shameful that we deny God and everyone else around us can keep us from his grip. No one can do that. Not even death itself. And like little children, we have those anxieties. We have those worries We fear that restoration isn't possible. And yet right here, he says to him over and over, do you love me? Do you love me? Not to say, is your heart big enough? 
but to come into the places where we don't believe it so that we can have a relationship. See, that's repentance. What draws us to repentance isn't us moving from bad things to good things. That's what most religiosity is. Peter, like me, would think, okay, Jesus, I hear you. You're saying this. It grieves me. He says, it grieved him. He said, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. But it grieved him because Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter to say, you can't believe repentance and turning from all the bad that you did, the denying, the, the shame, all of that, just to be better. Jesus doesn't come with a fresh start for Peter to be better. He was coming to restore him to full relationship with Jesus. Because repentance isn't turning from bad things to good things. It's turning from bad and good things to Christ. It's turning to him. It's turning to the one who doesn't even let death keep him from drawing our hearts of denial back to himself. The pain that we feel, the ways that we grieve ourselves, the ways that we try and cover it up. Maybe Peter thought even jumping out of the boat, getting to shore would maybe even cause in his excitement, his joy to get to Jesus first, would show and even prove to Jesus in his his. His, his presence, that, that that's what would show him he's so glad. But we know that, you know what Peter really wanted? He wanted Jesus to meet him. And it wasn't enough for him to cook fish and share a fish. It was not enough for that. It was, had to be more of Jesus' presence moving just from at the fire to inside of his heart. That the resurrection, tangibility, flesh, reality came deeply within him to say, you are not beyond my grasp. There's no shameful way that you can think that there's no, no going back. Isn't that what the Bible's full of? That's what I love about Christianity. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible's different than anything else because it takes a bunch of people who are deniers who deny Jesus himself, who, who live in their shame and say, gosh, there's no going back. How would I be received? How could I ever be taken back in? How could I ever say I'm sorry enough? How could I really believe that the person who really loves me the most will really still love me knowing that I have push them aside to take up anything and everything else for myself. And yet Jesus does it in spades. Not even that keeps him from that. And here's what's even more. He doesn't even stop to say that, Peter, the only way you're restored is if you're restored in relationship. The only way you're restored is if your heart truly grasps that you are a betrayer and yet you are more deeply loved beyond it. But now you have to go out and tell it. He says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, that we proclaim from the mountaintops, not that we're so good, not that Easter is about us coming to church all the time. Here's what's glorious about even this moment. The glorious thing about it is we long about being together and coming to church on Easter isn't again about our religiosity. 
what we proclaim as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to feed the lambs, to feed the sheep, to feed those who are to follow is to say, out of our relationship, out of our being betrayers, out of our deep denial that meets us in every living room right now, every space of our house, every place, every word we say that's short with our families or friends, every narrative we play in our head if we're alone, thinking of how when, how are we going to get out of this? What's going to happen to me? And yet not even death kept Jesus from coming to one of the greatest betrayers and deniers of human history so that he could equip him to go out and even write letters and even have his name published so that we as the lambs, as the sheep, would be restored to hope in our own hearts and could not ever be taken away. This is Easter. This is the hope we have, that it's not something that lives in our hearts. It's outside of us that comes and comes into our hearts to change our hearts. No Grinch can take it. No virus can stop it. No Dow Jones can remove it. The resurrection in its coordinates, your denial, betrayal, shame is all wrapped up in the coordinates of where Jesus lived, died, and rose again. So that even on a map, in flesh, you know your hope lives to this day. Praise be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, it's amazing to know that there is nothing that separates us from your love. There is nothing that keeps you from us. That this passage is incredible because Peter, the one who, like so many of us, who have been in a place where we have betrayed relationship, denied those around us for our own ambition or self-preservation, we have put ourselves in a position often of how do I make it to the next day? And yet, God, you let the day be about you by living, dying, and rising again so that our hearts could be restored, that the reality of the resurrection meets us just in a morsel of food that we have. It meets us in our everyday routine. It meets us in our work just as it met them in a fishing boat. It met them in a campfire, and it drew them in to say, it's my presence is going to bring you back into relationship with me over and over and over, that this would be our new routine, the resurrection hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would we sing that? Would we feed ourselves that and feed those around us with that truth? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, I'm so grateful to be with you. I, I'd love for us to sing together as we always do every Sunday, the doxology and then provide a benediction that uh, is so lovely to us. But again, I hope it's a glorious Easter.
I hope you sit in the hope of the reality of the resurrection that meets us wherever we are, that comes into our routine, and that it is a beautiful, glorious day for you in him. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. As we hear a benediction, I want to read a benediction to you that is a famous passage that a, a man named Paul wrote from a letter to the Romans. He said this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And please raise your hands in your hearts if you would like to receive the Lord's benediction. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation, no more. Now may the hope of Easter, the reality of its purpose, and the flesh and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ remind you and restore you now until he returns. Amen. Go in peace. And I can't wait to see you again. Hopefully, my Music Row friends, that we will gather together and I can't wait to actually see your faces. I'm so grateful I've gotten to hear your voices and see them on a screen. And one day again, we will meet in the presence of one another in flesh and blood and rejoice every Sunday in the resurrection that is. Amen. See you soon.